You know, sometimes when we look at narratives, stories in the Bible, it, it, it seems to be archaic, old, and sometimes it's, you look at these stories and you forget how it applies to our lives today. That, you know, it was just a story from back then and, you know, it, it's a piece of history. Um, but we're told that the word of God is active and living. And so things that were written thousands of years ago are just as important to us today as they were then. Uh, we we uh, have been studying last month, you know, uh, we went through Lent and looked at the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Uh, and then we, we went through and we studied the Great Commission. And so uh, this morning I want to look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, it's, if you're like me, I need to be reminded of the gospel every day. Uh, I forget the power of the gospel every day. And uh, we, needed to be, we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded that, that Christ loves us and he has died for us and he has forgiven us of our sins. And as a Christian, as a, a son and daughter of the Most High, we are empowered by his spirit to, to follow him. If we look at, at Acts, Acts 1, uh, the book of Acts is the second book uh, to the book of Luke. Uh, it's written by Luke, and uh, it's, it's a, a story of the early church. And when we were, I, I know every week almost it seems like that, I, I keep referring back to Thailand, and, and I don't want you to think that the stuff I say just applies to Thailand. Um, but it's where I've been for so many years now, and so, you know, I, I make a lot of reference to Thailand. And when, when we were in Thailand, our third term, I think it was, you know, we moved to southern Thailand to, to church plant. And I, honestly, if, if you had to look at our plans that we had uh, for the south of church planting, we had, you know, five, ten-year, fifteen-year plans we thought it would take years and years and years to see a church planted there. And quite honestly, going into it, I'd forgotten about the power of the gospel. I'd forgotten that it's the Lord's work and it's his spirit that moves people's hearts. And so I was completely shocked and surprised when we saw this church planted in just two years among uh, the Buddhists and the Muslims down in southern Thailand. And so today... You know, I want us to be reminded of the gospel. I want us to be reminded of, of the power that is in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Um, if if we, we look at the book of Acts, we, we see that it gives us instruction about our lives. And just as the grace of God was, was poured out on the early church, it's, it's poured out on us today as well. We are, we are God's church today. We are his church, and I want us to understand this and to believe this. And by studying uh, Acts 1 today, I, I hope that it gives you um, a taste of the book, so that because uh, we're not going to go through the whole book, um, but it gives you a, a taste to want to go and, and read it and study it on your own and be encouraged as you see the gospel going forth. You know, you see in the book of Acts how, how God used simple people. He used people that uh, messed up big uh, to, to plant his church, to see his church going forth. 
I mean, you think of Peter, who, who denied Christ, um, and then you think of the Apostle Paul, who actually was, was killing Christians, um, to, to go and then go forth and to uh, minister to the Gentiles and to see the gospel going forth. These are the kinds of people that God uses uh, for his church. And when you study the book of Acts, as I mentioned er- earlier, you know, it's, it's a history. And so you get to read and see where the church came from, right? And, and you get to see where the church is going. So as a Christian, when we look at the book of Acts, uh, we learn our history as Christians. And by learning our history, we can also then see where we're going. God's, it's God's history, right? God writes the history And he has a plan for each one of our lives and for his church. Let's read now uh, Acts chapter 1 uh, through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering. By many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking, looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray for a minute. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would help us to know your grace and how it penetrates our hearts, and how you motivate us to do good works uh, through your grace. Lord, I pray that your message from Acts 1 would speak to our lives today, that we would see the relevance of your scripture uh, applied to us today. Lord, I pray that you you would speak through me this morning, that your words would be an encouragement to everybody here, Lord. We thank you that um, you love us. We thank you that your grace is poured out over us. Lord, help us uh, to not be distracted by the events of today or tomorrow or the future, but help us to be focused on you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in in Acts 1 through 5, uh, we see an introduction uh, to, to the book of Acts. We see that this book was written to a man named Theophilus. Uh, and, and who was this Theophilus that, 
Paul, that Paul, that, that Luke is, is writing to. We actually don't know much about Theophilus. Um, but what we do know is that Luke is writing the book of Acts, as he says, um, to Theophilus so that he would know the true story about Jesus and the church. Uh, if you went back in Luke, uh, you would see, uh, as, as Luke uh, is writing, um, the purpose of his book. Uh, and so he's writing to Theophilus, but who, who is Luke? Many of us might know who he is, but for some, we may not. And so uh, Luke, as you know, when I was young and, and I used to see uh, you know, Luke, I, I always thought Luke was an apostle. Um, Luke's not an apostle. Luke, Luke was a doctor. And um, he, he worked alongside of the apostle Paul. Uh, and so Luke uh, says that he, he's writing this to Theophilus. Um, and to tell Theophilus about Christ and the church and all that is happening. Uh, and, and so I, when I realized, well, wait, Luke's not an apostle. Does it mean that what he, he wrote was inspired? Uh, I thought only the apostles wrote, um, you know, the, the, the New Testament. Well, actually, um, what, what is written here is inspired, and it is true. Um, because we can take the book of Luke, we can take the book of Acts, and we can compare what he has written uh, to the other parts of, of the Bible, and nothing is contradictory. Uh, we as Christians, uh, we also believe uh, that the Holy Spirit, as we're going to be t- looking at, um, the Holy Spirit uh, in- empowered Luke, inspired Luke uh, to, to write these words. And it and after that, you can also actually take the book of Acts and you can look at external um, sources, uh, history sources that actually speak to these very events that are recorded here in Scripture. Um, and, and so we can look at this with confidence, knowing that what Luke wrote is, is true. These verses uh, tell us the last moments that Jesus was on the earth and what he said to the apostles and those around him. They, they also tell um, of, of Jesus' ascension into heaven. Jesus commands his apostles to stay in Jerusalem. In verse 4, he, he says, um, <clears throat> in, in verse 4, he says that the gift of the Father, that the gift that the Father has promised will come. And so what is that gift? that Jesus is talking about here in verse 4. Uh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? You, you, you might remember back in John 20, uh, 20 22, where uh, Jesus is sending out the apostles, and he breathed on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Here in John, uh, Jesus was, was setting the apostles apart, Okay. Uh, he was giving them the authority to be apostles and go as his witness. But what we see here in Acts 1 is something different uh, when he talks about them receiving the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. Uh, he says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we, so we see in Acts the Holy Spirit giving power to the disciples to proclaim the word of God. And so we see two things happening here. Because of this, we 
the Holy Spirit, we see the Holy Spirit sets people apart, and the Holy Spirit empowers people to proclaim the name of Christ. Remember what the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is. It's to help us know who Christ is, to let people know who Christ is, to change their hearts so that they know Christ. So why does God give us the Holy Spirit? God knows the task that is before us is an impossible task, and we cannot do it apart from his Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit enables us. The Holy Spirit gives us power to, to tell people of who Christ is. And the Holy Spirit is the one that comes and changes the heart of the people that we talk to. The Holy Spirit's role is to point people to Christ. In verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The disciples asked the Lord, asked Christ, you know, is it now? Are you going to restore the kingdom of, of God now? They, they were still confused. They still thought that Christ was here and he was setting up his earthly kingdom. And they, they still didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand what Christ was doing. And so he responds to them and says that it, it's not up to you to know the times or seasons, but the Heavenly Father. Um, and, and then Jesus says to them to, to help them along. He says in verse 8 that you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first part of this verse, Jesus is telling his disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And throughout the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit working in amazing ways, don't you? I mean, you see people being healed. You see the dead being raised to life. In just chapter 3, two chapters later, you see John and Peter healing a beggar, a lame man. You see countless times of the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ is saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But many, many Christians today fall into two camps when we talk about this, the power of the Holy Spirit. One is that, um, one camp says that uh, <clears throat> the, everything that happened in the book of Acts, the power, the healings that you see, uh, the casting out of demons, all that was for that time period. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen today. Uh, it, has, it has ceased. With the, the completion of the New Testament, um, we, that doesn't happen today. It's, it's done. It was for that time period. The second camp uh, says, absolutely not. Everything we see happening in the book of Acts, the healings, the raising of the dead, speaking in tongues, all of that continues today. Um, I would like to throw out there a third option. Um, and, th and that is, as the gospel goes forth, into areas of the world where the gospel has not been present before, 
there is a different kind of spiritual warfare that we don't necessarily experience here in the U.S. We do experience spiritual warfare happening in the U.S., uh, but it's, it tends to be a different kind than what we might see in other places of the world. The spiritual warfare that we experience here is the spiritual warfare um, that seems to be centered around things like science, secularism. Uh, science claims that there is no God. Um, the spiritual realm is, is foolishness. Uh, those that believe in, in Christ um, have a crutch. But if you were to go to places like South America, Africa, Southeast Asia, you would see something quite different. There, societies are rooted in the very fact that you are interconnected with the spiritual realm. And, and it just makes sense to them. I, I'll, I'll never forget going to this place in Bangkok called the Erwin Shrine. You know, Bangkok is this mega city, you know, lots and lots of businesses right down in the middle of town. I think Hal was there, uh, seen it. And you have these people dressed in business suits, you know, on their lunch break, coming to this, this shrine, bowing down and worshiping this, this thing. And what that, that shows you is, is that the, the, how the, the spiritual realm is really interconnected into their society. Uh, and so the educated, the uneducated, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, this is something that you hold on to. When, when this happens, you see certain kinds of spiritual encounters that you don't necessarily see here in the U.S. Uh, what we see in the books, book of Acts is something similar that we see in, in some of these countries. So you have to remember that the Roman Empire was pre-Christian, right? Uh, unlike many countries today that are post-Christian. Uh, the post-Christian is, is where, um, where you, usually where people are anti-Christian, uh, they look at uh, things of the spiritual as something that's archaic, uh, it's, it's silly, it's foolish, uh, they claim that it doesn't exist, um, but in other many places in the world where the gospel hasn't gone forth before, you do see a different kind of spiritual warfare happening, uh, and, and this is going on right here in Acts. And so, the Holy Spirit, we read here, gives power to the apostles and followers of Christ through the use of miracles, but for the purpose of the gospel going forth. And when this happens, it shows the authenticity of what the apostles and Christians are proclaiming. These miracles are giving authenticity uh, to the gospel. I remember somebody asking me once, um, you know, do you believe in miracles? And I knew where they were going with this, right? They wanted to, they wanted to trap me because, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those, I, I don't think I am anyways, one of those, I, well, I won't even go down that road. But, um, but I do believe in miracles. We as Christians believe in miracles, right? Otherwise, why, why even pray to the Lord for healing. Um, but I remember saying to them, you know, I'm not going to put God in a box. God can do anything he wants according to his holy will. Uh, 
It might look different in different places in the world, but God can do anything he wants according to his holy will. And what is his holy will? One of the things is, of course, God is not a God of contradiction, right? So we know that God's not going to do something that goes against what he's told us in his word. Uh, so that's, that's a good litmus test. Um, when you hear people claiming certain things are happening and, or doing certain things, well, does that go against the word of God? A lot of times it does. And so you know what they're saying is actually false. You know, I've watched faith healing services on TV, and, and um, you know what I see is, is I tend to see a, a, a man-centered power that is not focused on the glorification of Christ, nor do I see this as a witness for Christ. Uh, and, and so when I see these kinds of things, you know, I can go to the Bible and, and I can say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I don't believe that, uh, because what you're doing uh, actually goes against scripture uh, where people make themselves as self-proclaimed apostles. When we were in New Zealand uh, in February, uh, we went to this meeting uh, with all the different local pastors there and this person brought this flyer and they were handing it out and I looked at the flyer and it was come to this crusade, this my, I, maybe faith healing service, I can't remember, but it was this guy who says, uh, and we looked him up later, the self-proclaimed apostle. Um, and I look at that, and I'm like, you know, that just goes against God's word. Um, and, and, and so and you, you do see those things happening all over the world. A lot of times when you hear these things, you, you hear words that are actually masked under they, they seem what is right. They, you might hear the words, and they seem right and proper. Um, but does it go against Scripture? Is it Christ-centered? But when we look at Acts, when we look at this passage, there's more than just performing miracles. Uh, when Christ mentions the power of the Holy Spirit coming, coming upon the apostles, uh, Christ isn't just talking about miracles. The Holy Spirit is much more than just doing miracles. Uh, we are given a whole list of, of things about the Holy Spirit, aren't we, in Scripture? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. You, you might have this memorized, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, that fruit that is seen in a Christian's life is a direct result of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the Holy Spirit being displayed through a Christian's life. And the fruit comes not from the Christian's doing, but the fruit comes from the Holy Spirit's doing. He gives it to us. That is his power. The power we receive is the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Paul prayed for comfort earlier, the Holy Spirit also gives us comfort. He's called the great comforter. Have you ever been in such agony that you didn't know what, how you are going to live anymore. You know, perhaps you've, you've lost somebody dear to you. You know, maybe you feel great pain and anguish uh, for someone you care deeply about. And, and you just, you don't know how to cope with that. But as you look to Christ, all of a sudden you're, you start feeling a sense of comfort, a sense of peace. Well, what is that that, that you're experiencing? 
That is the power of the Holy Spirit bringing you comfort. It is of the Holy Spirit reminding you that you are a child of God and that God loves you. The role of the Holy Spirit, is it not, is he is to point us to Christ. When we are comforted by the Holy Spirit, when we see the fruits of the Holy Spirit played out in our lives, when we see the Holy Spirit changing people's hearts, we are in turn reminded of who Christ is, and we give glory and honor to Christ. We are reminded of his great love for us. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ by showing us who Christ is and what he has done. And then the Holy Spirit takes his qualities and he manifests them in us as a child of God. Which is why as a Christian, uh, we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit being, uh, outlit, or being lived out in our lives. And so Christ tells the disciples that they will receive power so that people will know Christ, and they will know Christ. So I've just spent a fair bit of time just now talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's only one part of this passage. So let's continue on. The second part of verse 8 says, uh, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness of Christ. Well, what, what does a witness do? A witness is somebody who testifies about something they have seen, right? And Christ says first that they will be his witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So we are a witness of Christ. We are a witness of what we have seen. If a witness doesn't say what they've witnessed, then they're not really a good witness, are they? Uh, there's really no point of them being a witness. You know, you, you, you hear cases in court or you've seen in the movies, you know, these, these witnesses that they, you, they want to get a witness or they have a witness to testify, but the person's scared to testify. And so no matter what they try and do to get this person to testify, um, they're going to keep their mouth shut because they're afraid of what might happen to them if they were to testify. And so they're not really a witness then, are they? They're not witnessing. But to really understand what it means to be a witness for Christ, I'd like us to turn now to Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Christ says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that, they, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A witness here is somebody who is salt and light. And what does salt do? 
Salt preserves and it gives flavor. It makes a person thirsty. We as Christians are to make people thirsty for the gospel through the Holy Spirit. If, if people look at the church and they see a bunch of people that do nothing but fight with one another, who hate one another, are we making people thirsty for the gospel? When we condemn people by telling them how sinful they are, but never point them to Christ, telling them that there is forgiveness in Christ, are we making people thirsty for the gospel? We are a witness of how God has changed us and given us his spirit that lives in us. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. Jesus tells us that people will know that we are his disciples by the love that we show for one another. When people see this, it is a powerful testimony, and they become thirsty. They become thirsty for the gospel. When we mirror grace, when we live out the gospel in our lives, when we fall down and worship the Lord, when we pray for one another, and when we open our lives up to each other, we make people thirsty for the gospel. This is what's happening here at Vintage Grace in Oakleaf. And we don't, we don't live like the world, do we? When people see us loving our enemies, they're like, how can that be? They question. We're making them thirsty for the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't mess up. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. But what it does mean is that we are seeking the Lord with everything that we are. As Christ says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Which means we also need to reflect grace and forgiveness. And you know what? The power of the Holy Spirit is who enables us to do these things that I've just mentioned. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to make people thirsty for the gospel. This power is not something that we do or obtain. It is the Holy Spirit that gives it to us for the glory of Christ. So what does Luke mean, or what does Christ mean when he says that you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and, and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, Christ is showing his disciples that his kingdom is everywhere. That his kingdom is not just in Jerusalem, right? Jesus is, is showing them, too, that God's kingdom is spiritual, Many, many people have used this text uh, as, as a map of how we are to witness. Uh, we're to uh, witness first to the people that live next door to us, then in our community, uh, and then our, our city, uh, then go out from there, the state, the U.S., then overseas missions. And, and it's okay if you want to look at it strategically like that. But I believe actually what... Christ is, is telling the disciples here is just plain and simple that he, he's showing them the natural progression of how the gospel is going to go forth. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. If you were to look at, at, at a map, uh, you would see that um, you know, first you have uh, Jerusalem, 
And then the next area is Judea, and then Samaria, and then the end of the earth. And, and so Christ is telling them that, look, the gospel is not just going to be here in Jerusalem, but it is going to spread out to the ends of the earth. Christ is telling them this is going to happen. When I, I remember um, talking to a church once and asking them, you know, if, if they would be able to support us or not as missionaries. And the response was, well, actually, we need to, we need to focus our, our missions locally um, in our Jerusalem. And unfortunately, I feel like this church kind of misses the big picture that the gospel isn't just locally, is it? The gospel is globally, and that is what Jesus is telling them here, that the gospel is going to go forth throughout the entire world. Now, it brings up a question that, I, that I've thought about. Um, well, Jesus is telling this to the disciples, uh, that the gospel is going to, that he's telling them, you will be my witnesses here and then there and there and to the ends of the earth. Well, doesn't it seem impossible that in the lifetime of the apostles that they could carry the gospel to all over the world? So if this is the case, then either Christ is wrong in what he's saying here, which we don't believe, or Christ means something else. Christ isn't just talking to the disciples here. He's talking to all of us, right? We are his witnesses and so it's really important to us when we look at verse 8 to, to understand that this statement wasn't just for the apostles, but it's for all of us today. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. Christ says, or, or it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So after Jesus spoke these words, he was, he was taken up into heaven. And then the, the disciples saw two angels standing there. And in verse 10, it says that they, they were staring upwards that they still didn't understand what was happening, did they? Because as Christ is talking to them, all of a sudden he's lifted up into heaven, and they're like, wait a second, what's going on? Which is why the angels say, tell them, Christ is coming back the same way you saw him ascend. He's going to come back. You know, they, they, I get the sense here that because they're staring up into heaven, have you ever gone through something hard and difficult or you just don't know the outcome of what is going to happen and, and what is our inclination? You know, you look up at the sky, you look up at the ceiling, just kind of like, what's going on? What am I going to do? And that's what's happening with the disciples here. And the angels are telling them, no, don't lose hope. Christ is coming back. And <clears throat> the disciples... You know, they, they needed that. They needed to be reminded of who Christ is and what he's going to do and what he has accomplished. They needed to be reminded of his promise, right? And this is a promise. Uh, it, it means that 
the, the task that Christ has set before us and them is going to be completed, right? Christ just told them that the gospel is going to go forth. It's going to go throughout the whole world. It's, not, it's going to go out through Oak Leaf. It's going to go out through Florida, but it's going to go out through the whole world. And they're being reminded of the promise that Christ just told them. And this is such encouraging news to us, isn't it? You know, if, if you were going to go off to war, and you knew that you were going to lose the war, how motivated would you be to, to go off to war? Not very motivated. But if you were told you're going to go off to war, and you're going to win, the battle has won. You'd feel pretty motivated. You'd feel encouraged. And that's what's happening here. Is the angels are telling the disciples, he's coming back. You know, you're going to go and do this, but the war has won. Don't give up hope. You know, this, you don't go out there in vain. Christ is going to come back. And the struggles we face in this present life all the pain, the suffering, Christ is going to put an end to all of that. You know, it, we don't know, as, as the Father, we don't know the appointed time of when Christ will return, do we? It could be a really long time. We don't know. And so many times what happens is, is we forget this, don't we? We forget that Christ is going to come back in we, we forget that the, that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so we end up living like spiritual orphans, wandering around, forgetting that, that Christ is going to come and he's going to put an end to all sin, all suffering, right? John describes this in the book of Revelation, right? He, he says that he describes Christ returning with a new heavens and a new earth and that the, the old is gone. The new has come. That he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more suffering or pain. You know, this is a promise that we have here in Acts 1. That Christ is coming back. And so we don't, we don't lose hope as Christians, do we? Because we know that Christ has won. We have a promise. And we, as a church, are part of that promise too, aren't we? As Christ spoke to the apostles, he speaks to us today. He, he, he says that you will be my witnesses. And he hasn't left us alone. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And so when we are struggling, right? When, when we feel like giving up hope, we have a great advocate, don't we? And we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He reminds us of who God is. He reminds us of, of who we serve. And he reminds us of Christ's love for us. You know, <clears throat> I'm reminded here, and I'm giving great comfort here because of the hope I see in Christ. Because Christ reigns supreme. And he's concerned about me. And he's concerned about you. If Christ didn't love you or care for you, he wouldn't have given himself for you. And he wouldn't 
come back for you. But he is coming back. He does love you, and he is concerned about you. And that is why he has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Let's pray.